If you'll open your Bible tonight to the book of Numbers, that's not something that you hear a preacher say very often, and it's not something you've heard me say very often. It's one of those books we don't deal with very frequently, but the fact is Numbers is one of the most interesting books in all of the Bible. Now, a little bit of context might be helpful here. When we come to the book of Numbers, which is the fourth book in the Bible, the children of Israel by this time have come out of Egyptian bondage. They've been in Egypt for 430 years, and God has supernaturally led them out. And by the time we come to the beginning of the book of Numbers, they have been journeying for about one year, and they are on their way to the promised land but it's taking a lot longer than it should have taken. In fact, it took the children of Israel from the time they left Egypt until they got into the promised land. It took them 40 years to get there. Now, I know we're in numbers tonight, but just turn briefly to the very next book, the book of Deuteronomy, and I want to show you... uh, one verse. We didn't stay in Numbers very long, did we? Just for about 30 seconds. But in Deuteronomy chapter 1, look in verse number 2. This is interesting. It is 11 days journey from Horeb. Now, Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. It's 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And so from Horeb, the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, where Moses got the Ten Commandments, unto Kadesh Bardia, which was on the southern tip of the promised land, it should have taken 11 days to get there. But it took 38 years. Now, remember, they had already been traveling for about a year before they got to Mount Sinai when they left Egypt. And then from Kadesh Barnea, they took a long way around, probably took them about another year to get into the promised land. What should have taken 11 days took 38 years. And you add the other two years up, and you come to 40 years total in the wilderness. And so it was about a 150-mile trip. And yet the children of Israel, instead of just taking that 11-day journey, trusting God, believing him for Him to meet their needs, give them food, give them water, take care of them. They complained, and they doubted, and they questioned God, and they had a bad attitude, and they sinned, and they did so many of the things that we do in those wilderness times in our life that as a result of that, it took them 40 years to get in the wilderness. The real reason for the 40 years was because the spies that had been sent into the land, the 12 spies, and we'll come to this in the weeks ahead, they spent 40 days surveying the promised land. And when they came back to Moses, they said, two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, said, this this promised land is beautiful. I mean, beautiful mountains and trees and hills and pomegranates and figs, and it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And Caleb and Joshua said, we can take this land. But the other 10 spies said, man, there's no way we can do it. Those people who live in that land are like giants, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight, and there's no way we can occupy that land. And the people believed the majority report instead of the minority report, and God said, as a result of the fact that you have not trusted me to lead you into the promised land, you're going to spend one year in the wilderness for every day that the spies were scouting out that land. They spent 40 days on that mission, you're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And that is indeed what happened. Now, as we're thinking tonight, and for the next several Wednesday nights, and I hope you can be with us each week, we're going to be thinking about 
what we can learn in those wilderness seasons of life. That's the title of not only tonight's sermon, it's the title of the entire study. We're going to take maybe eight to ten Wednesday nights, and each Wednesday night deal with a lesson from the book of Numbers that we can learn and easily apply to our lives when we find ourselves in those wilderness seasons of life. Now, I want to begin tonight by defining what I mean by the wilderness. Now, Keep in mind, in the Old Testament, we read the word wilderness. It could also be translated desert. And that's really what it was. When we think of a wilderness, we think of trees and streams and greenery and it's lush. Well, the Hebrew word can be translated wilderness or desert. It was actually dry and hot and arid. But we'll just go with the word that the translators use, the wilderness. We all know what wilderness experiences are in our life. But here's a little definition I've come up with. It's not profound, but maybe as you think about your life and you think about where you are in your life right now, maybe this definition will help. The wilderness represents those places we pass through in life that we would rather have avoided. Now, how many of you have ever passed through something in your life you wish you could have avoided? Say amen. And some of you may be passing through something like that tonight, maybe an illness, maybe a family problem, maybe a financial challenge, maybe a a situation at work. It's something, and you say, man, I chose a good night to come to church because I'm passing through right now in my life something I would rather have avoided, and yet I can't avoid it. It's happening to me. Well, let's keep reading. While the wilderness can be a difficult, lonely, and painful place, it is a place we must pass through in order to get to the promised land. Now, let's keep our metaphors before us from this whole idea of Egypt the wilderness, and the promised land. Egypt, biblically speaking, represents our lives before we met Christ. Remember the Jewish people were in in Egypt and Pharaoh was mistreating them. That Pharaoh was an Old Testament picture of Satan. And just like Satan keeps us in bondage, Pharaoh kept them in bondage. And then in Exodus chapter 12, God had told Moses to have all the people to offer up a, a a Passover lamb uh, make a sacrifice, shed the blood, and then eat the lamb, and then put the blood on the, around the door. And when the death angel passed over, God said, when I see that God was the death angel, God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. And so the children of Israel had the blood on the doorpost, and so their lives were saved, and the next day they went out, or really later on probably that day, they went out of Egypt. So Egypt is our life before Christ. The promised land, many people have the idea that the promised land represents heaven. When we get to heaven, that's the promised land. There's a sense in which that's true. But from a purely biblical perspective, to to keep with the imagery, the promised land doesn't represent heaven. The promised land represents the victorious, abundant Christian life that God has for us right here on this earth. The promised land is that place of peace and, and freedom and joy and happiness and abundance and all of our needs being met and oneness with God. The way that I know the promised land doesn't represent heaven because after the children got into the promised land, as they were moving into the promised land, one of the things they had to do, they had to fight some battles. When we get to heaven, we're not going to be fighting any battles. God's already fought the battles. In the promised land, people got sick and died. People aren't going to get sick and die in heaven. And so the promised land represents the victorious Christian life on earth. But in between these two things, Egypt and the promised land, there's a wilderness. 
And in order for us to experience all that God has for us in our lives, there are times when He leads us through the wilderness. And things are dry, and things are hard, and things are lonely, and we have questions, and sometimes we complain, and God, where are you? And God, why are you allowing this? And God, how long is this going to last? And if we stay in that vein of questions, the wilderness experience tends to last longer than it would had we just trusted God and moved forward by faith. And so we're thinking tonight about the wilderness. Now, the lesson for tonight, and I'm only going to do one lesson a week, and some of these sermons, uh, my dad may do some of these, but whichever one of us, we're going to just do one lesson a week. And tonight, here is the lesson. Here's the lesson for us tonight. It's in your program, but I want to put it on the screen. The wilderness is a place of great blessing. Now, when we think about those difficult times in life, we don't think of of them as being a time of blessing or a place of blessing. We think of them being a place of burden and hardship and something to be avoided at all costs. But the fact is, the wilderness, maybe I should have worded worded that differently, and maybe I should have said uh, the wilderness can be a place of great blessing, or it should be a place of great blessing. It's not necessarily always a place of blessing. That depends on how we respond. Now... You may be wondering, John, why is the book of Numbers called by that name? What what is the deal on that? Well, the reason is because in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, they used the word arithmoi, from which we get our word arithmetic. And that was the title of Numbers in 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 the Greek Septuagint. And so they brought it into English, and they just made it the word Numbers. But the question is, why is it called Numbers? Well, I want to show you this. It's called Numbers because in this book there are two different numberings or census of the Jewish people. We have one in chapter 1 and that took place at Mount Sinai and one in chapter 26. Look in Numbers chapter 1. I want to show you something that to me is very interesting. Find verse number 45. Now the entire first chapter of Numbers is a numbering. It is a census. It is a list of how many Male Jews, 20 years of age and up, who will be able to fight in battle. We would call this the Jewish army. And so in verse number 45, it said, All who were numbered of the children of Israel by their fathers' houses from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war in Israel, all who were numbered, now here's the number, were 603,550. Again, 600,000, it's a big number, 603,550. Now, go to chapter number 26, towards the end of the book. This is the second census that was taken. And by this time, the children of Israel are getting closer to the promised land. They're still not there yet, but they're getting closer. And many, many years and decades have passed by. And look in verse number 51. These are those who, numbered, uh, who were numbered of the children of Israel. 601,730. And so the first numbering was 603,550. The second number, 601,730. If you do the math on that, there were 1,820 less Jewish men of this age at the second numbering than there were at the first numbering. And so think about this. They've been in the wilderness Let's just say it, 40 years. But during those 40 years, instead of growing and getting larger and stronger, what has happened? They've actually gotten a little bit weaker 
and smaller. The army has, has shrunk by 1,820 people. And it says to me, you say, John, that's interesting, but who really cares the size of the, of the Jewish army? Well, think about this point. When we complain and when we question God, we don't grow. And that's the problem that the army, the Jewish army had during these years. They didn't grow. In fact, it was worse than not growing. You're in chapter 26. Look down to verse number 63. These are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. So this is the second numbering. They're getting close to going into the promised land. But among those... There was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said to them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. See, that's why I might should have said earlier, the wilderness can be a place of great blessing. The wilderness should be a place of great blessing. But it's not always the case. It depends on our response. Verse 65, so there was not left a man of them except Caleb and Joshua. And so with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, all the men who had been numbered at Mount Sinai in chapter number 1 in the first numbering, in the first census, they've all died. Why did they die? Because they didn't trust God. Because they complained. Because they grumbled. Because they questioned God. And God got fed up with it. And so they died in the wilderness. But there were two who were numbered back then, Caleb and Joshua, and they took a different attitude. They said, we're well able to possess the land. God can do what he promised. He promises this land. Those people who live there are bigger than us, but God's bigger than them. And we believe that God can lead us where he wants us to be. And God said, you two are going into the promised land, but all the others are going to die in the wilderness. And it says to me that while the wilderness can and should be a place of great blessing, it can also be a place of our demise, of our destruction, and even of our death. And so, as you think tonight about your own life, and you think about what you might be facing, and you say, you know, John, there is a sense in which my family and I, or I as a single, or whatever the case, I'm going through a wilderness season right now, and I need you to say something tonight that can help me know how to navigate through this desert these desert roads that I'm trying to navigate through. And so that's the purpose of the message tonight. Now, that said, are you still listening? Say amen. Was that interesting about the numbering? And now we know why it's called Numbers, the book of Numbers. It's also called the book of journeyings, the book of murmurings or complaining, but we call it the book of Numbers. Now, go back to chapter number 6 tonight, or go to chapter number 6, and look with me beginning in verse number 22, because this is our emphasis tonight that the the wilderness can be, for you, a place of great blessing if you respond properly and trust God and don't complain. Look in verse number 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron. Now remember, Moses and Aaron are brothers. Aaron's three years older. Speak to, and Aaron is the priest, by the way. Moses was not a priest, but Aaron was. Speak to Aaron and his sons. So they were priests too. Saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them. Now this, we're very familiar with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's known as the priestly blessing. And so when all the Israelites were together for a worship service or a time of prayer, they were meeting out there. 
before they dismissed the group and sent everybody back to their tents, God said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron, before you dismiss the crowd, pronounce a blessing over all the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's interesting to me, fairly early on in the book of Numbers, in fact, the first ten chapters of the book of Numbers are just various laws that God had for his people to obey in the wilderness. And right in the middle of all these laws, we find a blessing, the priestly blessing. And that says to me tonight, in the middle of our wilderness, in the middle of your wandering tonight or your dry time, there is a blessing for you. Now, in your program tonight, let's just kind of develop this just a little bit and follow it along. Number one, say, John, what is the blessing? What in the world does God have for me in the wilderness? In other words, sometimes in the wilderness we think the only thing good about the wilderness would be for me to get through the wilderness and into the promised land. And that is, that there's truth in that, but there's also, there are also blessings that God has for us in the wilderness. As we're going to see in the weeks ahead, it was in the wilderness that God fed the people with manna from heaven. That wasn't in the promised land. When they got to the promised land, they ate the food that was in the promised land. But it was in the wilderness that they ate the bread of heaven. It was in the wilderness that God gave them water out of a rock. It was in the wilderness that God miraculously healed many of the people who had fallen sick. And so even before we get to what we call our, quote, promised land, that is the ultimate part of God's will for our lives, on the way to that place... God has blessings for us, and tonight we're studying the first of those. First thing I would say is this. In a general sense, the wilderness is a place of blessing, and it is a place of protection. Let me say that again. In a general sense, we're going to see three different ideas tonight, and they all get a little more specific as we go. But in a general sense, the blessing, that wilderness that you're in tonight, uh, is a place of blessing and protection. Look again in verse number 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. Say that with me. The Lord bless you and keep you. Say it again. Now, our English word bless comes from the Hebrew word barak, B-A-R-A-K. It means bless. And it literally means to kneel down. So when it says the Lord bless you, what does it mean? It means here's the prayer Here's the wish that more of a prayer and a blessing that Aaron was pronouncing over these people. He was saying to them, hey, in the wilderness, may the Lord kneel down to you and be unusually close to you. Now, you you use you use that image in your mind that here you are going through a hard time and you say, God, why have you allowed this? God, where does this road end? God, where are you in the midst of all this? God says, I'll tell you where I am. I'm kneeling down and I'm closer to you than I've ever been. The Lord bless you. The Lord barack you. The Lord kneel down to you. And then he says, the Lord keep you. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the, in the original language, the idea here is to guard to protect, or to hedge about. And so God is saying that in those wilderness seasons of life, not only is God kneeling down to be close to you and to bless you in some special way, but He is also protecting you. 
He is also guarding you. God has also put a hedge around you. And so during this difficult season of your life, and how many of us here tonight, I imagine it would be all of us, 100% unanimous vote on this, can look back on wilderness seasons in our lives, difficult times in our lives, and we say, you know what? As hard as that was and painful and lonely and difficult as all that was, I will have to say in retrospect, God became unusually real to me. God seemed extra close to me. And not only that, God put some kind of a hedge around me. And I could have been one of those who died in the wilderness. I could have been destroyed out there. But God put a hedge of protection around me and guarded me and watched over me. And so in a general sense, that's what happens in the wilderness. God kneels down, he's extra close to us, and he puts a hedge of protection in the wilderness. Remember this in the wilderness. I've written this in my notes. You're not alone because God's kneeling down. He's right close to you. And you're not going to be destroyed by your circumstances unless you let those circumstances destroy you. If you'll trust God and move forward by faith, you will not be destroyed because God has made a hedge of protection around you. Now, the second idea I want us to think about tonight is simply this. The wilderness is also a place where we experience the graciousness of God. The graciousness of God. In other words, it's not only the nearness of God and the the blessing of God in a general sense. It's not only the protection of God as He hedges us around, but in the wilderness seasons of life, we experience the graciousness of God. Look in verse 25. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And so in in the Bible, anytime you read about God shining His face on somebody or God taking his face and looking at somebody. That's always an image and a picture of blessing and the favor of God. Now, put your program where we are in Numbers and turn to the book of Psalms. I want to show you a very interesting psalm tonight. Psalm 80, one of the great psalms in in the Old Testament. And in Psalm chapter 80, I want to show you three different verses that talk about God's face shining on us. Psalm 80 and verse number 3. Let me give you just a minute to find it. Psalm 80 and verse number 3. And the psalmist says this, restore us, O God. Now listen to this. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. In other words, God, if you will cause your face to shine on us, then we're going to be saved. Look in verse 7. Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. Look in verse 19. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. And so there's something about God shining his face on us that, that, is, that, that restores us and that rejuvenates us and, and that it gives us energy in life. And, and so three times the psalmist is asking God to cause his face to shine on us. Now, in the Bible, God can do two things with his face. He can cause his face to shine on us or he can hide his face from us. And the Scripture says, surely you're a God who hides himself. And so sometimes God does hide his face from us. That is, sometimes we go through something in life, and it's like God is hidden. God is, 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 he seems anyway distant and removed. Anytime God hides himself for you, it's one of two things. He's either punishing you. I would rather not say punish. I would rather say disciplining you. The punishment for our sins were on Jesus, but he still disciplines us when we sin. So he's either disciplining us or he's testing us. 
Sometimes in life when God seems to hide himself, where are you, God? What's going on? God is silent. He's not necessarily shining his face. We don't necessarily have an awareness of his presence. It may not be that he's disciplining you. It may be that he's testing you to see if you'll trust him even when he's not answering your questions. But here, this priestly blessing is not talking about God hiding his face. It's talking about the opposite. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And so, the idea here is that in the wilderness, not only does God bless us with his presence, but he changes us with his presence. You know, in this hot weather we're having right now, and I did this the other day. I was outside for longer than I thought. And I have very fair skin, and so when I got back inside, I I was watching my skin begin to glow right before my very eyes, because I'd been out in the sun in the heat of the day, and it didn't take long for my sun to start turning pink and to start turning red. And so think about this. I had been in the sun, I'd been in the presence of the sun, and now the sun is changing my appearance. Well, it's the same with, the, with God, with the S-O-N. When we are in the presence of the Son, what does He do? He begins to change us. You know, Moses was up there on that mountain with God for 40 days, and he came off that mountain, and he had a glow about him so bright that people had to, you know, it was so bright, Moses had to have put something over him so that people wouldn't be blinded by this heavenly glow. And so when we're in the presence of God, he changes us from the inside out. He changes our countenance. And even, I don't know if you notice in Psalm 80, but those three verses, restore us, O God, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. Did you notice every time the psalmist referred to God, like in verse 3, restore us, O God, Verse 7, restore us, O Lord God, I believe it says. And in verse 19, restore us, O Lord of hosts. The farther that psalmist went in that prayer, the greater God became. In other words, he's having to use more words to describe God. Why? Because as God is causing his face to shine on that psalmist, and as that psalmist is being restored in his faith, what is happening? He's being changed from the inside out. And the presence of God is not only having a comforting effect on him, it is literally changing everything about him. Now, the other idea I want us to see tonight, and this is the best part, the best thing that happens in the wilderness is is that the wilderness is a place where we experience peace and where we experience wholeness. Look in verse 26. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace. And in the Hebrew language, of course, that is the word shalom. And shalom, we, you know, we translate it peace. We think about peace as being a feeling in our hearts that everything is right between us and God. And that's part of what shalom is. It does talk about that inner feeling. And I hope tonight in your life, whatever you might be going through, that you have that inner sense of calmness and assurance that that everything's right with, between you and God because of your faith in Christ. And not only that, that everything is going to be all right in your life because God's in control. But shalom is not just that inner feeling or that inner peace. As we talked about last week, it also refers to completeness, wholeness, restoration. It includes uh, God perfecting things in your life that aren't right. Always, when I think of shalom, I think of Psalm 138.8, where it says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me, or the Lord will complete that which concerns me. And so, when this prayer that God gave for Aaron to to bless, this blessing over the people, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Think about what he's saying. 
May God give you that inner sense of calmness and assurance and peace, as we would say, that everything is okay. And then may God not only give you that feeling on the inside, but may God go to work on the outside. May God go to work on your situations and circumstances, and may He restore what you've lost. May He complete what's not complete in your life. May He perfect what's not perfected. May God make it, take everything in your life. Here's the whole idea of wholeness and, and shalom. May God take everything in your life that is not as it should be, and in His own time and in His own way, may He make it as it should be. You know, as I, as I heard a pastor say one time, God will take the broken pieces of your life and put them all back together again if you'll just give Him all the broken pieces. You see, all of us have broken pieces in life. We give those broken pieces to God. God goes to work, and when God gets finished, the pieces aren't broken. Our lives are back whole. They are restored again, and that's the idea of shalom. May God give you that. Now, in the wilderness, as we think about that, and as we're going to be thinking about this for the next few weeks, and I don't, I've never done any kind of a study through selected passages in numbers that I can remember, but here's what I've written down, and I want to end with this tonight. In the wilderness... Keep your eyes on Jesus and keep moving forward by faith. And something else I would encourage you to do, and it's not easy for any of us, but I would encourage you nonetheless, don't complain about your circumstances. Now, we're human, and sometimes we all complain. But remember this, if God is truly sovereign and in control as we know He is, that means anything that comes into our life, He has allowed. And so if we complain about our circumstances, what we're really complaining about is God. And that's how God hears our complaints. We, we think, I'm not complaining about God. I'm complaining about him or this or her or them or that. God says, well, there's a sense in which that's true, but there's another sense in which I've allowed him or this or that or them or her. I've allowed this into your life for a purpose to strengthen you so that you can grow and so if you complain against all of that, you're really complaining against what I've allowed to come into your life. Now, it's much easier for me to stand up here and say, don't complain, than it is for me not to complain, because we all complain. I'm just saying, in, in the wilderness, keep your eyes on Jesus, keep moving forward by faith, and don't complain. The mistake that the children of Israel made in the wilderness was that they settled for the wilderness instead of continuing to move in the promised land. In fact, if you get a... If you have a map in the back of your Bible, you can look at it later tonight when you get home. But on that map, find the place called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was in the middle of this wilderness, but it was really close to the promised land. I mean, really close. In fact, it numbers chapter 26. That's the region the people were in for the second numbering. They were in, in the area of Kadesh Barnea. And scholars tell us that it was in Kadesh Barnea, in the wilderness, with the promised land, a stone's throw away that the children of Israel set up camp and they lived for 38 years. We have the idea that the whole time they were in the wilderness, they, never, they just were always moving. Well, not really. They came to Kadesh Barnea and they said, this is good enough. This is close enough. Let's just settle down here. So I would say to you in the wilderness, if you're in a wilderness tonight, don't settle. For example, if you tonight are in a, in a what I would call a mental wilderness. You're in a place where you say, John, my mind 
my mind is not at peace. My mind is not at rest. My thoughts are, this is, the, this is what, what is behind all anxiety is thoughts that have not been brought under the control of, of, of ourselves and of God. It's just rambling, racing, fast thoughts. And it causes us to be nervous and anxious. Well, so if you say, man, my, my mind's like that. Or maybe you're, what's causing your wilderness is fear. Or maybe what's causing your wilderness is doubt. You just don't have any real peace with God. What I'm saying to you tonight is don't settle for that. If there's, if there's anything in your mind, in your heart, fear, doubt, anxiety, listen, you know that doesn't belong in your life. And so you've got to have an attitude that says, you know what? This fear, this doubt, this anxiety, it may not be gone by tomorrow morning. It may not be gone by next week. But I'm leaving this service tonight with a fresh commitment that I'm not going to settle and live the rest of my life with fear, doubt, and anxiety. I'm going to keep looking to Jesus. I'm going to keep moving forward. And I'm going to believe that there's coming a day out there somewhere for me where those clouds are lifted off of me and I'm over here in my promised land. Peace, joy, provision, abundance, happiness, contentment, the, good li- the abundant life that God has for you. What I'm saying is don't settle for anything less than God's best for your life. Now, we think about the children of Israel all these years in the wilderness. And what did they do? They looked around at their circumstances and they complained. They looked back to how their life was in Egypt. And as bad as that was, they said to Moses, you know what? At least back in Egypt, we had better food to eat than we do out here in the wilderness. And it's interesting to me, sometime in life, God can deliver us from a terrible situation and time goes by and we say, well, you know, I think I'd rather be back than here. It's wrong. And that, but that was, they looked around, they looked back, they looked within, they were miserable. But the children of Israel, think about this, this is sad. They looked in every, all these different directions, but they never looked up. And they never focused on God. And as a result, a wilderness experience that should have taken 11 days and strengthened them and built them up and got them excited because they were moving toward the promised land. What did it do? It weakened them as a nation. All the men died except Caleb and Joshua. The army got smaller. And it was just a horrible thing except for Joshua and Caleb. And so I'm saying to you tonight, you know, it says in the New Testament that all these things in the Old Testament were written for our example so we could learn from their mistakes. I encourage you tonight in your wilderness, don't settle for anything less than God has. You keep looking up. And you keep believing that whatever it is that may be constituting your wilderness, God is able either immediately, He's able to do it immediately, but it may be over the process of time to lift that off of you, to set you free, and to usher you in to the promised land. Amen? Father, I thank you tonight that whatever wilderness we might find ourselves in tonight, that there is a blessing for us in that wilderness. You would never lead us through one of these difficult seasons in life if you didn't have something good in mind. And God, I pray that we would learn from these Israelites in Old Testament times, and I pray that we would do like Joshua and Caleb did and not like all these others did. I pray we would trust you and keep moving towards your wonderful plan and and fullness, your, your full plan. For our life. Now, with your heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, you know, those of you in a wilderness tonight, you know what that wilderness is, but would you just say to God, would you say, God, this Bible study tonight has kind of changed my perspective 
And now I believe that there is a blessing for me right here where I am. And I want to pronounce with your head bowed and eyes closed tonight. I want to pronounce this blessing over you tonight. That God told Aaron to pronounce over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. That is, may he kneel down in your presence and build a hedge of protection around you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God, in the middle of your wilderness, not only be close to you and give you his presence, but may he do something special for you in that wilderness. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And my prayer is that God would give you peace, shalom, peace on the inside wholeness in every area of your life. May God perfect and complete that which is imperfect and incomplete. And may God put all those broken pieces back together again. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.